Um, if we can put up Steve's uh, slide up here for a second. I want to just start out with his message last week. I thought this was just great. And this is kind of what I want to touch on today and cover is, you know, we all know what the mission is. And we all know what ministry and service is after last week. You know, we think ministry is getting to pray for people, things like that. It's far more. Really, ministry is work. It's work. It's, it's a lot of work even to do ministry. Because once you get someone saved, lead them to the Lord, right? What do you have? You have work. You have relational work. You have conflict. You have healthy, challenging, and growth. What is, you know, family? What's family? It's, it's work. It's a lot of work together. You know, so I want to look at this and I, I'm preaching this because I feel that it is a very, very appropriate word for the season we're walking into. I believe God is going to bless us with a great harvest. I believe many souls are coming to Jesus. And I believe we need to be prepared in our hearts to have the right attitudes or we will miss it and shipwreck. And let me, I'm going to get into this and clarify it, right? But you have the mission, and then you have ministry and service. And Steve did a great job last week of just laying it all out there. But I want to talk about the in-between. And it's kind of what I was talking about previous weeks about living under the influence. What happens between the mission and the execution of that mission expressed as ministry is critical, right? It makes all the difference in the world. And it's easy for people to misjudge that in other people's lives without the Spirit. Because you can, two people can look the same. One has a bad motive, one has a good motive. And you wouldn't know unless you really saw the person's heart like the Lord sees it. And so I want to talk a little bit about this. And this wasn't something that's new. It's not something new. Paul experienced this. We look in Galatians, you know, 1 verse 6. And he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not just another account. So he's clarifying. It's not a gospel that's entirely different. There's some minute difference that doesn't just look like an entirely different gospel, but it is. It's not just another account. But there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, even now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, he is to be accursed. Uh, there's this emphasis here and this clarification that, that Paul is bringing and saying, listen, I've declared to you a pure, un unadulterated gospel. And he was, he was preaching something different from culture. There were a lot of different cultural elements that were saying, that's wrong. You know, it's, it, it had to do with law and grace. It had to be with circumcised and not circumcised. It had to be following the Jewish law and traditions. And then the gospel was this fulfillment of the law and all these things. But it had a lot to do with this in between. That's where the difference of another gospel came from. You heard about Paul say, like, the guy who was preaching the gospel for money, right? What was the difference of him and someone preaching it with a pure heart? The beginning mission was the same, preach the gospel. The end, 
the ministry, I'm sure the person led lots of people to the Lord because the gospel draws people to Jesus, right? But the in-between is what was different. One was doing it with the wrong attitude for gain versus one doing it out of obedience and love for the Lord. Okay, so this is the... So then Paul goes on to say, and he says... For am I now seeking the favor of people or of God? So here's where this wasn't just his idea and said, like, for example, he was saying, people are saying that I'm trying to please people. So he's hearing people say, yeah, Paul's, he's just trying to be a people pleaser. He's trying to preach what people want to hear, this gospel of freedom, right? And so he said, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now, this is the heart of the matter, folks. Paul was not doing anything else. The pure-hearted servant of the Lord is a bondservant. That means a slave. It means someone who has given every preference and right away to Jesus. Nowadays, that's like... Nowadays, people like talk like that is an extreme Christianity. But that's like the basic Christianity. You either have Jesus as your Lord or not. What do you think Lord is? Like a convenient association where you just like, well, Lord, today I think you'll be Lord. But tomorrow, you're not my Lord because I want to do what I want to do. And I don't want to drill down too heavy on this, but it's simple. It was easy. People tend to judge people's motives when they don't know. And so I'm challenging you today that there is only one motive that we should all have, this in-between that Steve talked about, where we are moved by love and obedience, love and truth, right? And we come to a place of worshiping, which is not singing songs. It's a life of sacrificial living, laying our lives down and saying, Lord, you bought me with a price. I am yours. Here I am. And it's not one that we're let out of duty like, oh my gosh, this slave driver God. It's one where he, we watched him bleed and die on the cross, a spotless lamb. And our hearts are so moved by it that we're like, Lord, what would you like me to do? Like, like you are amazing. That's why when he says, take up your cross and follow me, that's not like this terrible thing. It's not comfortable. But it's like there is no such thing as sacrifice for someone who's seen God himself sacrifice everything and give it all to us. Take all the penalty and just give it all to us. You're, not, you're like, like, oh, Lord, this is rough. No, it's like, thank you, God. Thank you. I can do this. I can do this. No problem. So I'm not speaking to you this heavy message. It's like, you will conform your behavior. No, it's fall in love with Jesus. And when you do, a fire will be lit in your heart that no man can put out. A fire will be lit in your heart. Like, the worst thing you could do in this church is approach serving as a duty. We will drive you into the ground. 
Why? Because we are a growing church. We're one that is yielded to the Lord. And if the Lord spoke to us like he did a couple months ago and said, start a school, we're like, oh, what? Okay. Yes, sir. And then we were like, how are you going to do this, Lord? I mean, this is going to take a lot of money. This is going to take time. And believe me, it was sacrificial. There's several of us who have had our lives turned upside down because the school started. We lost help. We lost all kinds of things. It disrupted the entire apple cart. But it came down to what is the Lord saying? And if the Lord says, jump, you jump. How high, Lord? How many times? It's like obedience. And it doesn't matter what you lose through your obedience. This has to be the heart. It has to be the heart. How could people cast out demons, heal the sick, and yet stand before God and God say, depart from me, I never knew you? It's this. It's the in-between. There's not love. There's not relationship. It's not coming from a place of obedience. And listen, the name of Jesus is powerful. You cannot know him or love him and have an intimate relationship and cast out a devil. Every knee must bow. All this starts making sense. The in-between determines if the mission has produced a good work out of obedience or a good outcome. When we speak of unity, we're speaking about this in-between. It's not that we all must conform and have the same opinions. It's that we all are one-minded about the mission and how that should look in between as it expresses itself as ministry. For example, there's no self-seeking in this. That's where the one-mindedness is. It's not that, well, because we're all diverse in our giftings and we're all called to do different things, yet we're all called to come together and produce corporate fruit. But the unity and one-mindedness is talking about the right heart in doing these things. It's about alignment with God's truth, alignment with first principles. It's making our hearts and our attitudes line up with God and please Him. Out of love, not duty. Thanks, thanks. Someone's alive here. I know. I, oh, everyone's starting to like, I say amen. So when we looked at like weeks ago, a couple months ago, we started looking at Peter 2.1. And we talked about Simon Peter, another bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who would receive faith as the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us. Through these, he granted us precious promises so that by them you might be partakers of divine nature. We talked about this as living under the influence of divine nature. Who God is, you become like God is because he rubs his presence into your life and your life begins to look different because his work upon you, right? These effects, living under the influence, the in-between, right? Right? 
caused you to become, we talked about it's caused you to becoming. It's an active, continual process. Partakers, and I love this, this terminology, divine nature communioners. Like, you know, we take communion. Well, God wants us to continually be divine nature communioners, right? So we talked about all this, and we talked about, like, you know, burnout. We talked about depression, and we're supposed to, having escaped the corruption that's in the world on account of lust, we talked about how the Greek says that's fleeing from the world system of unfeeling corruption. I thought that was amazing. Because feelings are just followers. Feelings come from things we believe. So if you believe something, even if it's wrong, you're going to have legitimate feelings that accompany that. And so part of the corruption of the world is living on feeling versus truth. So part of living under, under the influence is living according to the truth and not your feelings. Being transformed, that we're not led by that. I want to just hit one more point, like, you know, before kind of closing this out, because this, the point is simple. It's a call to us to come to a place of focusing on this in-between and cultivating the love of God and having the vision of what he's done on the cross so that it affects the way we live. That's the whole heart of this. And you're saying, oh, I already accepted Jesus. I'm all set. No. No, you're being called to a deeper level. Like CLA families are being called into a deeper level that no one knew was there. And they're being pressed and they're like, what is going on? This is too hard. And we're like, no, the Lord doesn't give you more than you can handle. You know? But when you're being pressed with growth, and I'll tell you, it's not, I'm not pointing the finger here. We are all being pressed by the Spirit of the Lord to grow and walk in a whole new place. All of us in some way or another. So part of, part of this work aspect, right? Work, ministry service is work, right? It's sacrifice, but it's not burdensome, dutiful work. It's work that flows out of this wonderful appreciation for how good it, God is, right? So I'm, I'm emphasizing that on purpose because I believe we have much work ahead of us. Much, much work. Because growth demands work. But if we don't get our hearts right and we're not lit on fire by the love of God, we will not have the fuel to burn and, and, and run with the Lord. And if we have that fuel, it's not burdensome. It's a delight. We're like, oh, bring it on. Yeah. Oh, build a wall. Oh, move sod. Oh, build a kingdom. Oh, yeah. Give it to me. You know, part of it, I, I just want to give you this imagery, right? And, and this is for life group leaders. Um, this is a great image of what we should strive for, right? Is, is the Lord's table. It's this whole idea of communion, like, you know, and we see the Last Supper as them all sitting around in this nice painting, but really what it is, it's this place of, you know, in the bread, we, rem we remember that he gave us his body in the cup. We remember he shed his blood. 
It was the crushing of Satan and the divesting of hell for the souls of who would, all those who would ever believe. And perhaps the most familiar feature of the Lord's table, we remember the Lord's death. It's resurrection. So when we, well, let's, let's read 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. Okay, so remember, we're, we're like this. Brothers and sisters, our fathers are all under the clouds in two rooms at the Crossing Life Church. And they all pass through the sea. He's delivered us all from the penalty of sin and death. And they were all baptized into, the Mos- in, into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food. This is speaking of a people of God. And they drank the same spiritual drink and they were drinking from a spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Listen to this next portion. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For their dead bodies were spread out in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us. That's what the scripture says. And what I want you to get here that's being really clear is these people had all things in common. They were eating the same food, talking the same talk. It is our crossing life church community. We're all eating the same word. We're all doing first principles. We're all getting set free in encounters. All of this stuff. We join together in different acts of service and ministry. And when I read this, I'm like, Lord, how could that be? And could that be possible that the Lord is not pleased with most of us? It's just a thought that hit me like, how could a whole people drink the same drink, eat the same food, fellowship, do all these things, and the Lord's not pleased? Now these things were examples for us so that we would not crave evil things and they craved them. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. These people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor are we to commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 20,000 fell in one day. Nor are we to put the Lord to the test, as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Nor grumble, as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. So he's laying out all of these things, saying, these people did not please me. And this is why idolatry, sexual immorality, grumbling. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. Folks, you are not just some generation. You are an, a, a, a generation that is called for a special purpose of ushering in a revival and a harvest the world has not seen. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. Remember, that could be an apple pie. It's not just going out and having premarital sex or getting drunk or doing drugs. It's whatever is short of faith. It's when you put something before God. If it's God saying, I want you to read my Bible before you go to bed. And instead, you pick up your baseball cap magazine. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if God is calling you, Craig, to, like, 
read your Bible at night and you keep saying, okay, Lord, yeah, well, later. And you take another magazine and you look at it, it's like cars. And you're like, I love these. Or gun, a gun magazine, we'll say that. Okay, gun magazine. And you're like, oh, bro, this gun, like, wow, that new one is so cool. I want that. Oh, wow. Mm. And then you're like, man, I'm tired. You put the magazine down, you go to bed. And the next, next night, God says, hey, pick up your Bible and read it, Craig. I want you to get full before you go to bed. I have things to do even while you're sleeping. I'm going to change your mind, your heart. I'm going to be active in you, but I need some, something to work with. Give some word there. Put it in there. And you're like, okay, yeah, Lord. Pick up. Oh, man. I wonder if I have enough money for that yet. I'm only 100 short. I wonder how I can make some money. I think I'll, I'll pick up some side work on a Saturday. Then I'll be able to get this. And then my next step, though, is going to be this one. I love this model. Oh, man, I'm tired. And you go to bed. Folks, that is clearly idolatry. What? Are you preaching legalism? You're saying baseball cap magazines, gun magazines are idolatry? If you're disobeying God, it is. What does he speak into your heart? This is the point. It's so simple. Obey him. If you don't obey, it's idolatry. You're putting other things before God. Okay, so good question, Craig. Then we have later on in chapter 11, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you often, as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, for as one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does. Now, consider this. Your life group is not a social club. The life group is a time to break bread together, have a meal, and examine one another's hearts before the Lord and celebrate his death and his resurrection. That's what life group should be. Life group should be a time. And you know, you know, today it's hard for us to see this, right? Because, you know, this is speaking of a traditional family dinner. Even in life group. It's not meant to be throw some things on the table and then just hang out and talk and everything like that. It's meant to be a traditional dinner. It's meant to be a time where it's not a contemporary version of hit and run, free for all, paper plates takeout. Like traditional meal, if you look at it, you start understanding things better and go, oh, life group is supposed to be a meal? Well, let's think about that. Like, well, first there's preparation and menu planning. If, you're, if you had a guests over and you did a traditional meal, what do you do? You say, hmm, what am I going to have? You think about it. You might pray about it. What can I do really special? Think about your holiday dinners right? That used to be dinner every night with the family back in these Bible days, right? Think about it. Preparation, meal planning. Then you have to go shopping, but it wasn't Walmart back then. You'd go and you'd pick a chicken off a hook 
And then you'd go home and pluck it. And it would take an hour to get your meat ready. We still do that at the Crossing Life Church. (laughs) Trying to be biblical in all ways. (laughs) Then you have to go to different stores. You can't just go to Walmart. You got to go to all different of these places in the market. And you're collecting all the things you need for that dinner. And then you're going to go and you're going to prepare the animal. And then you're going to do the meal preparation. And you know for holiday meals, Stephanie, I, I watch her. She starts two days before the holiday. Cutting things up, preparing, putting in the fridge. Then she makes some things and then puts it aside. And this all this time goes into preparing things ahead of time. Then there's setting the table. You know, and this isn't paper plates. It's like bring out the fine dishes. Put candles on the table. Place settings. Multiple glasses. You have like water. You have juice. You have wine. You have like a dessert. You have coffee. All glasses. All these plates. You know, we do it for the interns, and it looks like someone emptied the whole china cabinet. It's just solid glass. You're like, wow. Like five cups and two forks and spoons and on the sides and on the top. All kinds of like, it's decked out, right? This is what we're talking about. And then serving the food, which the host isn't just like sitting there saying, hey, kids, come on. No, they're preparing everything, bringing it to the table, laying it all out, helping serve, running to getting salt and pepper they forgot, right? It's all of this stuff. It's, it's providing the atmosphere, the attitudes, the ambiance, the context for fellowship. And then there's cleanup. It's like as much as all of it together. Doesn't all fit in the dishwasher. So then you're going to have to like do a bunch of loads and then do some by hand because you don't want to sit there all night, right? There's all this stuff. My point is, is the meal was work. And here you have Jesus at his table doing the Last Supper saying, I'm the host and I'm also the sacrifice. And then he calls us into that same role as the church saying, do as I've done. And he's saying to you, church, Be the host and become the sacrifice. And think about it. The host, what if people don't help clean up? Guess what they do? They clean up too. And guess what? They have love and they have self-sacrifice. And they're doing it not as duty, but out of great joy for the family they have brought together to bless with hospitality. I don't know, if some of you are honest, you're probably saying, boy, I'm not there yet. Bring the paper plates. But there's something to this, and I know it's not one message that's going to do it, but I'm telling you folks, life group leaders, if you would get a hold of this and study a traditional meal and center it around the table and center it around relationship and center it around shared lives and becoming the sacrifice for your dinner like Jesus now the implications of this are huge right and we've talked about one mindedness but um, you know any program or mechanism in our church ministry is not an end in itself like school the CLA I've talked about that it's work that provides and interns families disciples families our festivals 
It's work that offers the community an opportunity to experience the gospel and the family of God. Evangelism is not getting people to believe certain things, but to enter into a way of life with Jesus and his family called the church. See the difference? It's not like, listen to the truth, now say you will believe. Okay, yes, you're now saved. Here's your ticket. It's about helping them live a whole new life, enter into a whole new way of living, right? Which requires more than just street evangelism, even though that's part of it. The proclamation saturated an area with the truth. There's a reason for that, but that is not the end. The end is leading someone into a transformed way of living, a whole new lifestyle. And there's a lot of work that goes with that, folks. You know, Sunday service. It provides a lot of work. There's a lot of teams that set up chairs and, like Lindsay, buying decorations. You know, setting up, just trying to make it a little bit better. Got it, baby. But it's allowing a place for people to encounter the presence and the power of God. They see it. They taste it. I'm telling you, like, life group. I just went over all of this. Buildings. It's work that enables us to be who we are called to be. A resource center for the surrounding communities. An airport for our global missions. It offers a physical face of credibility and stability to the world. They see this place. Listen, I was talking to one vendor that we use. And out of the blue, he said, I don't even know if the guy's a Christian. And he said, Sean, I want you to know something. I've watched you guys for 10 years. It is amazing what you all are doing over there. Now, how does he know that? He's never been to a service. He's never been to a life group. He doesn't know what's happening because he saw visually transformation of this place. He saw improvements. He saw our work at presenting a face to the community. And he made it a point to tell me, I cannot believe what you're doing. People drive by and see the parking lot full. What do they think? Wow, this place, something's going on. It's constantly testifying to the world. God is at work in his people. God is at work in his people. God is at work in his people. He commented on the sign. He said, the Messinas are up in Maine today, but he said, and that sign you got. Wow, you guys are, things are happening there. I'm thinking, it's a sign. But to him, it says, God is doing something here. Do you follow me? It's like, there's, there's these natural things. We're not getting hung up in them, but God is using them. They're, they're visible signs to bridge people to Jesus. You know, the, the land. You know, why are we doing all this? Putting it in a garden. Who cares? It's stewarding the next generation. We're not planting these trees for us to enjoy tomorrow. Sure, we'll get some enjoyment. But you know what? Our kids will come to this place with this flourish, mature landscape. you got to think generational. You plant trees for coming generations. You're not going anywhere. You're purposefully planning and leaving a legacy. You're leaving an inheritance. You're leaving a mark forever on this earth till Jesus comes back. So I want to challenge you with this, right? What's your attitude and understanding of ministry? Work. When you think of work, do you feel like the Israelites under Pharaoh? 
Or do you feel like Paul is the bondservant? This is important because some people are like, what am I, just a slave? No, you're immature Christian who doesn't have a clue of what it is to li- be a living sacrifice. Yeah. You say, what am I, a slave? No. You're a Christian that's immature and doesn't understand what it is. What's the rest of it, Kate? To be a loving sacrifice. And some of you who are like, feel the weight of that as something very not not positive. I challenge you that you learn the love of God and let the love of God fill your heart and fill you with fire that nothing is a burden. I found that if there's ever times where I feel burnt out, I'm like, you know what? I need a serious time with Jesus. And then you go and you you go and get with Jesus and then you get filled and you're like, huh, wasn't as bad as I thought because you're led and fueled by the presence. And then finally, if you judged the in-between of others in the body. And you know, most likely you judged them how you are. So if you have a hard time because you don't have your process right of the in-between, then you look at everyone else who's working and serving tirelessly. And you say, oh gosh, they must be filled with this performance mentality and duty and things like that. Okay. (laughs) What does your in-between look like? That's the final question. You know, and only you know the in-between. You know the inner thoughts of your heart and your thought processes. And So let's get ready for what God wants to do and focus on the love. Listen to last week. Listen this week. Focus on this because he's calling us into a season. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be, and we will not make it unless we're fueled on the love of God. Dunkin' Donuts won't even do it. Sorry, Sherry. (laughs) No, not Starbucks. Definitely not. Come on, let's pray. Come on, just respond to God in your own words here, wherever you're at. Lord, I pray that we thank you so much for what you're doing in our midst and thank you for what you're, you've laid before us in this significant hour, this place where we're walking into a whole new season. We're, we're in a new place. We're in a place of provision and abundance and harvest. And Lord, we say, like, do what you need to do in our lives. Change us. Speak to us. Change our affections. Strip away performance or anything that drives us where duty is our motivation. Lord, teach us your way. Show us your love that we can serve you out of love. Let it mount up like a giant well that's overflowing. That we can handle what you've set before us, Lord. I pray for a move across the body in hearts and minds. Come on, just respond to God now. Let's just take some time with the Lord.